Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? We are recording live from the Astroglide Studios. We got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about how not to stonewall. I know it's one of the more common, often male-associated forms of dealing, or we should say not dealing with conflict. So we'll be talking about that later in the show. And also talking about the important difference between noticing someone who's attractive, flirting with someone, and uh, crossing the line and becoming a full-blown creeper. Yeah, that's right. You don't want to be that person. Uh, interesting stuff in the news. A, a lot more schools are starting to say this. University of California will no longer consider SAT and ACT scores. I love that. We now know the history of a lot of standardized testing is quite problematic. It's right rooted in white cis hetero norms. So people that are from different classes or races aren't necessarily going to be able to be held accountable in the same ways that people from other backgrounds will be. I Look, I thought that way even about the IQ test. I am trained when I did my doctoral program in clinical psychology. I was trained in how to administer personality test and IQ test. And just looking at some of the things, I'm telling you, I appreciate and understood why this is one form of intelligence. Actually, here's how it really works. I took the IQ test, test whatever it tests for, and we decided to call that IQ. But there's a lot of different forms of intelligence as we talked about that. And SATs and ACTs are the same way. They're, they're, they're somewhat arbitrary and not everyone's a good test taker. And so it's very ableist. It's not acknowledging that some people due to different cognitive issues, disabilities, limitations, that not everyone can roll into the same room, sit there, and within an hour, however long it takes, follow the same protocol and be held accountable in the same way as other people are. Not everyone's a good test taker. Some people have heightened anxiety and will never allow them to be successful in such a overwhelmingly stressful contained space that the test taking room is. Other people don't think in such concrete ways and won't thrive in you know terms of multiple choice. Like It's just not honest. It's really whoever does great in those environments, good for them, but they can't be the same for everyone. And that's one of the things I'm trying to let everyone be reminded of in general is that everyone needs different accommodations based on a multitude of factors. There's no such thing as, well, that's what everyone else did or everyone else does or the same for everyone. That is actually the opposite of mental health. If there's any rule that's the same for everyone, it's not mental health focused. It's just not, especially if we're talking about something psychologically related, like what we're deeming to be intelligence, and standardized testing. Also these new mask guidelines. I've heard a lot of people frustrated, complained. All the nurses and doctors and virologists I've talked to have said, keep wearing your mask and I will continue to. I don't trust other people. I don't know if you've been truly vaccinated. I also don't know if you've been following the rules while vaccinated. I know that they said you can be unmasked around under other, uh, excuse me, if you're vaccinated, you can be unmasked around other vaccinated people. It's an honor system. I have people that I know who after got, having gotten both tests, I'm sorry, both vaccines, still came back positive. Bill Maher did, some people I know personally, it is not 100%. I also realized I used to get the flu all the time because of all the crap in the air that people are coughing. Even right now, I just saw a woman earlier at the gym not cover her mouth when she coughed. Um, and of course her mask was down. So it's like, I, I just don't wanna get flus and colds in general anymore. So like, I'm down with wearing it. I don't care how it looks. I don't care what other people think of it. So just I'm saying that as a reminder, just because the CDC politically is being very capitalist and economy driven and shoving everyone back to work, uh, just because your boss wants you to come back in, is there good airflow? Ask them that. How have you managed airflow issues? How have you managed the amount of people on site? Has everyone been vaccinated? How have you actually checked in on that? What have they been doing between? Like all these things matter. And so I'm still wearing my mask. I'm still following protocol. I'm still not back in my office because the numbers are still high. 
it's just gotten very familiar normalized for us. So I'm saying that as a way to support those that are just not feeling safe. It's okay, I don't either. I'm still limiting my exposure to others. I'm being very thoughtful where I go and who I go there with. It's just kind of the world we're living in right now, and I'm okay with that one. So I just want to kind of give that a little bit of a, um, uh, a shout out in that way. And I, I, I can't remember if I covered this. I do a lot of podcasts, a lot of interviews. I have some multiple programs going right now. Um, be very thoughtful about the advice you're taking from social media, especially TikTok. I, yet again, was looking at some articles of people, it tends to be falling a lot under the diet, fitness, but also the skincare world, people getting permanently injured and burned and scarred and harmed by following these TikTok at-home remedies. Again, take mental health advice only from licensed therapists. Please take skincare advice from dermatologists and... Um, Oh, crap, I can't remember the word for someone who's trained in skincare in terms of facials and all that. Sorry, sending a lot of love out to y'all. I can't remember the word. But uh, take dietary advice from nutritionists, right? Take personal training advice from certified personal trainers. But remember, trainers aren't certified in nutrition. Nutritionists aren't generally certified in personal training. And just because you have a lot of followers on TikTok doesn't mean you have, you know, that you're a licensed therapist or a certified sex therapist. Like we need to be very thoughtful because even though we all act like we know better, we don't. <laughs> we absolutely don't. As per some of the things I've had brought in my office. They're like, well, this TikToker, TikToker said blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that is actually absolutely wrong and horrific. <laughs> Please stop listening and following them. So no shade to the influencers, but stay in your lane. You are literally dealing with people's lives. And if you want to really do the export work, go to school. Really learn how to be an expert and a scholar in that actual field. You'll do far, far more and help people far better. All right, we're going to take a little break. And uh, like I said, when we come back, we're talk about the important distinction between noticing someone, flirting with someone, and how to not cross over into, yeah, hi, now I'm a full-on creeper. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris. Love Line is brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, we're back. And uh, this was, gosh, this is such an interesting concept that came up um, in a clinical session, then also came up in a Reddit social media um, overload when someone started this conversation. And then it filtered itself into my personal life. It's this whole idea of what does it mean to be a creeper? What does it mean to... Uh, 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 unkindly and maybe even inappropriately, depending on the context, really kind of flirt with someone. And it started to flush out the idea in my mind that there's really a, a profound difference between noticing someone attractive, uh, flirting, and then essentially creeping, creeping on a person, right? And I thought, what an interesting thing to unpack, because I think that there's a nuance. And I think this is very much born out of a cultural moment where the Me Too movement is here. We are finally acknowledging and really breaking down consent and consent culture, looking at uh, sexism and lack of safety and fear of eroticism. It's all in there, right? 
I talk a lot about rape culture, and I think this topic intersects powerfully with all that, as well as a lot of men saying, oh, I no longer feel safe hitting on or flirting with people. And I think it's because of this cultural misunderstanding of what essentially are these three threads that have a lot of gray area, a lot of nuance, a lot of complexity, and they definitely overlap. But I think it's a helpful uh, uh, takeaway, these three concepts, to really help us assess both on the um, active end, right, of eroticizing someone else, right, or being attracted to them, and also on the receiving end. So I thought we could kind of break this down a little bit. Uh, let's see. So we talk about the stages of courtship, right? And that's an important process because, again, that is the process that begins, uh, creates, lays down, and moves us towards possible sex and relationality, right? It's the stage of, of romance building, and it's, it's something that creates a lot of anxiety to step into. A lot of people struggle with it. It's often gendered, where some people still believe that based on your gender, the responsibility is on one, one side and not on the other. And you know we're moving away from that, thankfully, because again, remember, you get to decide how you move through the world. You get to decide how you perceive dating, right? And what, what the expectations will be. But the more rigid and limited the rules are as you define them, the more you keep yourself single possibly, right? And that's really in there. Everyone has a different set of rules. And I'm working with people on getting rid of gender norms. I'm working with people on just honestly, authentically and confidently being themselves, whatever that looks like, whatever that means. And that means for some men I'm working with, yeah, they are not tops. They are not, you know, hetero or homo, it doesn't matter. They are not tops, they are not assertive. And I'm working on them learning to be more confident in their passivity. And um, learning how to be a little more fluid, I want everyone to have a full range of skill set, both assertive in terms of courtship and sexuality, but also receptive and passive, but also building confidence in what might be more of their favorite position. And that means that some women, if we're talking in, you know, well, it means some women have to learn how to step in and be more assertive. And some women naturally are. And I'm working with those women on being more confident and authentic and being assertive and being uh, hypersexual if that's their desire and, and participating in hookup culture if that's where they're at. Point being, we, we need to have a full range of skills. And I work with some clients that keep themselves single because they refuse to assert themselves. Whether it's because they're a woman and they think a man has to hit on them, good luck, because that's not always gonna be the case. Um, and also working with individuals, again, and learning how to be more of how they want to be out in the world. But the point being is we all have to do our work, right? The stages of courtship cannot be placed upon one person designated by culture based on their gender. And then we all just go along with that and then feel victimized when we wonder why no one's hitting on us, right? Because some people need to see the other step more into this process. Courtship is a very fragile, nuanced thing. We usually start by noticing someone, they notice us, and then... Sometimes it just ends there, but it has to be on the responsibility of all parties interested to do something assertive to push it forward. It cannot fall on one person's shoulders. It doesn't matter who it is in these dynamics. Both people have to be willing to take at least one step towards initiation or pushing it forward after noticing. But when we talk about the difference, more importantly, tonight's topic, the difference between noticing, flirting, and creeping, noticing is just that initial stage right? Um, you, 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 are, you become aware of someone. You feel desire in your body for them. Chemistry starts to be acknowledged. Desire. That's how it really begins. It's just a simple act of noticing. There's nothing wrong with noticing someone attractive. There's nothing wrong with noticing attractive things. We have eyes. We have psychology. We have a biology. That will be inherent. That's an important start to that process, right? We will inherently be oriented towards attractive things. Some people get upset because they think if you're in a loving, committed relationship, you'll never find anything else attractive in the world. That's not under our conscious control. We don't get to make that decision, and that's not true. You can be attracted to multiple things at the same time. You can love more than one person at the same time. These are not non-renewable resources. These are things that we have ongoing ability to offer and to step into, excuse me, I have to clear my throat. I'm a human. It's going to happen. <laughs> Bear with me. I sometimes feel bad when I clear my throat. And then I'm like, I'm not a robot. I'm allowed to be a person. I'm a therapist. Um, <clears throat> and there I coughed. But there's no shame in that. And some people try to shame that. And I want to just bring that forward. The, the work is confidently letting yourself realize you're going to move through the world. You're going to see people that are attractive and that you have desire for. And it's okay to notice that right? We're not even getting into 
How does it impact your partner? Is your partner with you? Blah, blah. We're just starting with just the concept that it's okay, whether married or not, whether monogamous and exclusive or not, it is okay to find and notice attractive things in the world, right? Noticing someone, because again, we're breaking down the difference between noticing flirting and being a creeper, essentially. Noticing in itself has no intent. Noticing has no purpose. Noticing, in theory, has neutral to a positive impact. You know, let's normalize someone noticing us. Let's normalize noticing someone. It's that brief moment of eye contact. Here's the other thing. Noticing doesn't even always have sexuality or desire in it. I was at a coffee shop earlier today and I made eye contact with someone who I wasn't trying to eroticize, romantically interested or anything. I just noticed them. I, I, I saw a human before me. We made brief eye contact. It wasn't uncomfortable for anyone because there was no request in it, right? All right, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to keep breaking down the difference between noticing, flirting, and creeping because I think this is actually a very important topic. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about the difference between flirting, noticing, and being a creeper. And again, I was saying in the last segment, this is important because some men have expressed fear and anxiety in rape culture and me too movement to to flirt and hit on someone uh some women still believe that it's a man's job or the butch or masculine person's job to step in and to ask them out and court them and that keeps people stuck that's actually keeping keeping people trapped in violent gender roles that's toxic masculinity at its finest we need to be better than that right but we're just starting with the initial idea that to notice someone isn't always even an erotic sexual thing I've, i notice people all the time that i've no interest in courting or flirting or romanticizing i'm just noticing humanity it's like literally what when they say when you hear people say namaste like uh, the god in me notices the god in you the essence of me notices the essence in you it's it's actually probably the most honest moment it's like when they say don't forget to smell the roses that's the same thing it's like we're actually pausing, being present in a moment and just really connecting to the beauty and humanity or the essence of something in front of us. There shouldn't be any anxiety around that. Yes, sometimes noticing is driven by chemistry and sexual attraction. That's okay too. It's okay to acknowledge attractiveness in the world. And I want people to get more comfortable being acknowledged and noticed as attractive. Now, we're going to move on to the next stages and that will dictate, you know, the psychological impact of it. But I just want to normalize the idea of noticing. It doesn't always have a request or an intent behind it. It's just that we have eyeballs. It's that we have humanity. But then we move into after noticing, we have the possibility of moving into flirting or creeping. And this is really where it matters, right? Because now we're talking a little bit about impact and intent. And both matter. It matters what you're trying and wanting, but what matters most will always be the impact. We get so hung up on intent. I didn't mean anything, it doesn't matter. What happened as a result, the impact matters most and that's what we should usually attend to first. We'll come back to that. But flirting is often goal-oriented. Flirting is an attempt to step into a different framework. Doesn't necessarily mean Exchanging numbers, having sex, hooking up, dating, right? It doesn't even mean physicality. Sometimes flirtation is compartmentalized and just in the moment from afar. You notice someone, they notice you, we smile a little bit. Now we're stepping into flirtation. Sometimes it ends there. Sometimes it has no purpose of going further, right? It's, it's just leaning more into the acknowledgement of attraction from both sides, right? So flirting is about taking it a little bit further than just noticing. It's an attempt to get noticed often. It's an attempt to maybe engage and connect, right? But it doesn't have to be bad or inappropriate because whether or not we step into creepiness is really rooted in the response of the other, right? So again, noticing is that initial moment. Then flirtation is trying to maybe notice further, engage or connect. It involves intent to maybe move it forward, right? So you're looking to see if this person has interest and acceptance or if they're disinterested and rejecting. And that's what really keeps that hard line between just noticing flirting and then stepping into creeping, creepiness, right? 
if the person's in acceptance and interest or desire of your flirtation, you then get to decide whether we take it forward and formalize it, exchange numbers, go on a date, something like that, or if we just let it be but a moment in time. Because maybe you're married, maybe you're in a committed monogamous relationship, and that was just a moment between two humans with no intent, right? It just happens on its own. Sometimes it's an unconscious process that we get caught in and realize afterwards what happened. Now, what really becomes interesting is if the person shows a sign of disinterest, rejects you, or looks uncomfortable, what do you do next? Do you accept that and disconnect and move on? Because if you hold that gaze or try to capitalize on or push it forward while someone's showing a lack of interest, rejection, or discomfort, now you're becoming a creeper. Now you're moving into a lack of consent because that's what we're really talking about is has this person consented to going further into doing more with this? And so everything you do next is what makes it creepy. You make eye contact with someone, if they look away uncomfortable, you immediately accept that and you move on. If they smile back, well, then there becomes a negotiation. But if they look uncomfortable or reject or outright say no, you let go and you move away. You don't push forward. You don't continue to pursue. You don't chase after. That's where moving into rape culture. The idea that other people's boundaries and comfort isn't of interest to you or doesn't matter. That your goal and your needs matter more. So it's about just honoring that fine line and understanding the nuance of someone communicating with their body language or literally verbalizing, I'm not interested, I'm uncomfortable. We have to learn how to honor that. That's the difference between noticing flirting and being creepy. And I think that's a really important thing. It's, it's the impact. You know, flirtation and being attracted and noticing someone's you know, attractiveness shouldn't harm anyone. It shouldn't make anyone uncomfortable. It should just be enhancing. So it's really about reading the other person's body language. All right, coming up next, we're going to be gliding into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, as always, drop them in the uh, DMs on our Loveline IG page. Always here, always happy to hear from you, always open. And uh, past episodes of Loveline, as always, they are over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, click on it. Bam, there they are. Uh, so stick around. Coming up next, like I said, we're going to glide into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. And now it's time to glide into the DMs brought to you by Astro Glide. Gliding into the DMs. This one says, Dear Dr. Chris, my girlfriend and I have been together for almost three years. I don't know if we've grown apart. Uh, but we're definitely going at different rates. <clears throat> I seem to be optimistic and hopeful about the future while she seems down and sometimes depressed. I try my best to be there for her to love her the way she wants to be loved. A month ago, she told me that she needed more from me, more kissing, more cuddling, more affection. I thought I stepped it up. Just last week, she told me that I still wasn't doing what she needed and that she needed even more. I asked her what I was doing wrong or what I could do better. She said she didn't know, but that it just wasn't working. I'm not really sure how to be the person she needs. I feel like I'm trying so hard, but it's still not enough. I guess my question is, is it wrong to feel like she's asking too much of me? That I'm giving 200% and only getting 50% back. There's a lot in here. Uh, first off, I appreciate the, the calmness and the love and the care around which you're asking this question and stepping into this struggle. Um, it sounds like you're both treating it as though you're on the same side and on the same team. And that's good. And that's what I want the takeaway to the listeners to be right is when you're in a relationship, we're, we're on the same side. No one, no one is mad or angry. And I'm proud of your girlfriend for sharing with you what her needs are. doesn't mean they're right or wrong. We're not there yet, but I'm glad that she's saying, listen, honey, I love you. Um, I need more care and I need more affection. And I like that. What I think I'm hearing you say is you said to her, I hear you. Let me, let me sit with that. And let me try to find ways to kind of step into that and provide that. I heard you saying that you didn't get defensive. I heard you saying that you didn't feel attacked because she wasn't. And in a healthy relationship, we have to be able to say to our partners, Hey, here's how it's feeling. Here's what I'd love to see be different in you, in me, in us. And you were like, all right, let's talk about it. Like, that's great. That's how it should always go. Um, always use a soft startup. Like, Hey honey, can I talk to you about some things I need? And you, again, were non-defensive. You didn't stonewall. You didn't shut her out, shut her down. You didn't pick a fight. You were like, let me, let me work on that. So that's, that's awesome. That's, that's the best we can expect. I am hearing a few things in there, though, that I am concerned about. Um, she, this is you quoting her. She told me that I still wasn't doing what she needed and that she needed even more. 
when you asked her what you were doing, or what you could do better, she said she didn't know, but that it wasn't working. I think she's misplacing what's missing on you as though it's affection and attention, and most likely it's not. Um, because there's two things we're looking at, right? Is she making you responsible for something that you can't be and shouldn't be, right? It's very possible that she's not feeling good in her life, right? And sometimes we'll turn to what seems controllable or fixable, like our partner, our relationship, and think that, that that's the problem. Um, or maybe her demands are too high because there is, there is a truth in you doing as much as you're able and willing to do before you start losing yourself. And there is a level of acceptance. You know, we use words like needs, like I need, but that doesn't mean that you do need it. Usually it's, I would like that or I want that, but you don't necessarily always need it. And there's a certain level where that people can be asking too much or asking too much of a specific person. If you're already giving a lot more and that's not enough, you've done your work. Your job isn't to make her completely happy. Your job isn't to make her feel complete. I think she's putting a lot of responsibility on you showing up with more attention, care, and affection to solve something that maybe it can't or shouldn't. So I think you have to lovingly dig your heels into, listen, I'm giving the amount I can. I, and, and if you can try a little bit more, you can. But I think you do need to say to her, I wonder if maybe there's something else. I wonder if there's something else that you need to address or look at that isn't something I can provide. Does she have friends? If not, she needs to work on friends. And if she does, she needs to work on meaning, meaning in that. Does she have a career or purpose in life that gives her value and meaning? Because usually those things are lacking. And we look to our partner thinking that they should make us happy. I'm not happy. Is there anything maybe my partner's doing? Ah, yes, I'll make it about that. And often it's not. And so do your best, but keep lovingly reflecting back to her saying, I wonder if maybe there's something else that's lacking and it, it, it can be addressed or met in some other way because that's the sense I'm getting. And if we're not really looking at the actual problem, then we're not gonna really get to an actual solution. So you gotta kind of revisit that conversation, but well done with the way you guys are, are managing the discussion. That's, that's the best you could do. All right, y'all, funny enough, coming up next, we're going to be talking about stonewalling, which is what this person did not do, and that's awesome. So we're going to talk about that and how to be open to uh, partners making bids for our attention. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. All right, we're back, and we are recording live from the Astroglide studios. And we're talking about stonewalling. This is something we traditionally see in men, people that are masculine, male identified. It's definitely a form of uh, socialization that occurs. It's one of the more problematic ways of being in a relationship. Why? Well, because it's like hitting a wall when you're trying to get some vulnerability or unpack something or discuss something difficult or get into any emotions. Now, again, it's how we raise men. We raise men uh, to do everything side by side where we raise women face to face. We have little girls playing games where they're facing each other, sitting still, men, they're side by side and literally thrown right into sports. And uh, it's never face fronting. It's never about emotionality, right? It's always about a rough, roughness, competition, winning, sportsmanship. All of that is about suppressing. All that is about building this big shadow behind them of all these unacknowledged, um, unacceptable parts. Um, and then it's shocking to people when later in life, we automatically, out of the blue, start to demand emotionality, emotional presence, and emotional comfort and wonder why they don't have it. You know what I mean? It's so gendered, right? Like if we hear scary noise, we want our uh, male partners to be tough enough uh, to go down and investigate, which again is another example of saying stuff your feelings. Men aren't allowed to be vulnerable. Everything's so gendered and it's problematic. And that's why I'm always pushing back on gender roles. You want the good, but without the bad, but they're the same um, of the same coin. We should be going to authenticity and truth, getting away from that. Um, but stonewalling is something we traditionally see in men because the way we socialize and raise men, right? We, we tell them, oh, it's fine, brush it off. We don't even coddle male children. It's so heartbreaking and gross. Uh, so let's talk about this. What does it look like? Are you someone who does this? Because again, the work is always about what? Vulnerability, right? Stepping outside of the limited ways that maleness exists in our culture. Uh, do you have a hard time expressing your feelings and needs? Comes up with a lot of men I work with. They feel as though they can only express anger or frustration. Um, and I say things like, when's the last time you were lonely? When's the last time you were sad? When's the last time you know, you were disappointed, all these like softer emotions. When's the last time you felt love? When's the last time you felt cared for? Really hard for some men to identify. I've even started with some of them very lovingly and supportively talking about 
face charts where they show the different facial expressions and say, which one of these do you think is you today? And just really working with them on checking in multiple times throughout the day on their process, right? Um, then we move on to, and again, these are signs of stonewalling, which is an emotional style. It's a personality style. It's more importantly, though, shown in times of conflict or when you're wanting some emotional presence. Like I said, difficulty expressing your needs and feelings is a form of stonewalling. Um, if you get easily overwhelmed by someone expressing their emotions, by someone sitting close and intimate with, intimately with you, by someone holding quiet space and wanting to hear from you or to connect, right? You feel flooded. You get easily dysregulated, right? You're, you're moving your hand saying, no, I don't wanna talk about it, not now. It's always an avoidance, an avoidant tactic, stonewalling, like you're throwing a wall up and these people are always slamming into it. So ask yourself that. The minute someone wants to talk, talk about emotions, process something, do you get overwhelmed, dysregulated, flooded? You're a stonewaller. Is it hard for you to be open and vulnerable with your feelings? Right? Are you able to share with someone who's important to you? Hey, I felt bad when you said what you said. Hey, um, I was a little disappointed that I never heard back from you. Hey, it hurt my feelings when you, you know, didn't mention my birthday, whatever it was. And some people are saying, who does that? Emotionally healthy and mature people, that's who does that. They openly and confidently express their feelings. And that's actually an act of care to the other. It gives the other a chance to be a part of and aware of how they impacted you. They can apologize, they can clean it up, they can learn more. But what happens is stonewallers stuff all those feelings and thoughts and frustrations and resentments. They just stuff them, never address them, never deal with them. People never know how they're feeling about them. It's unkind because you take away the right of someone else to be a part of healing whatever wounds they might have created. And no one ever feels like they really know you. You don't really feel like you're known, right? You feel so distant and disconnected. We are most connected with and we bond most and deepest when we share difficult emotions. Not always even about the person, but we share difficult things for us to express. Parts that make us feel shame and vulnerability. When we can express that to a safe person, that's when we really feel known and seen. And relationships that never allow for that never have a lot of depth. That's why people are always with like a lot of friends or run around the squad. They miss out on these moments. You can't drop into these soft, vulnerable moments with all those people. So people that are always running or running around, socializing a lot, are usually avoiding that introversion, that self-reflection, that quiet time and space to be with self. Those are often people that don't know themselves and don't want to know themselves. They're running from self. They're running from relationality. It looks fun because they're always smiling, laughing, dancing, high-fiving, but they tend to also socialize in spaces, bars, clubs, places that are loud, crowded, packed, where you can't really drop into self with another self versus maybe a hike, a walk, a dinner party where you're quietly sitting with another, sharing and bonding, right? And so stonewallers tend to be very highly active or very isolative, or very isolative but they're not using that solo time to be self-reflective. It's, it's a defensive mechanism from really being related to because it scares them, because it's a uh, skill they don't have. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, we're gonna keep talking about the stonewalling personality, identifying if it's possibly uh, in us in some way. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline is brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. All right, we're back and uh, we are talking about stonewalling. It's usually something we see from men. It's rooted in toxic masculinity. It's part of the violence of gender roles and gender training. Men are not socialized to be given opportunities to be soft, to be gentle. They're, they're thrown into sports. Go, compete, roughhouse. Never sit quietly with your friends like a lot of girls get socialized to do where the way they socialize, the games they play, it allows a lot of face-to-face -face time, a lot of stillness, right? It's quieter. And again, I'm, I'm speaking in stereotypes. I'm, I'm giving broad strokes. Of course, there's exception. I love when people call it the exceptions. That I'm, I'm assuming we all know that there are exceptions to this. Uh, I'm living in the broad strokes because a lot of people still at times will fall into these baskets. We still love gendering the crap out of everything. And it really, it really distorts our relationships and our mental health. So we're talking about how stonewalling is someone who has a difficult time expressing their needs or feelings, but even hearing the needs and feelings of others. They say, not now, you're being dramatic. They're always doing something to block it out shut it down or avoid it, right? There are also people that get very easily flooded, overwhelmed, or dysregulated when they're being asked to sit in still intimate moments with self or with other, right? They're being asked to share self or someone else is trying to share themselves. 
Um, this is also a stonewaller, someone who struggles to be very vulnerable or transparent with their feelings. They don't know how to go to others and say, you hurt me, you let me down, you made me sad. Can we talk about that? They ignore it, they brush it off, they stuff it. And I was saying that sometimes that, and again, I'm, I'm not using this as a way to judge. I'm using this as a way for us to identify ourselves. If you're someone who always has to be around people, if you're someone who always has to be around a crowd of people, if you're someone who always socializes in loud, crowded spaces, you're missing out on the opportunities to sit in stillness and silence with self and other. Spend some still silent time with yourself. Have a friend or two that you, that you do go on walks with, hiking with, window shopping, coffee, going and just sitting at the beach. And naturally that stillness and that silence and that lack of activity of sound, dancing, loudness, darkness, whatever it is, you're able to just really connect on deeper levels and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? But more importantly, really turn to each other and say, how are you? How's life? How's your mental health? Really dropping into those powerful, powerful topics and conversations. Someone else who stonewalls is maybe someone who uses these really abandoning tactics like silent treatment or they're always checking out you know you get in a fight and they disappear for the day or for the night or they go sleep in another room or they give you the silent treatment that's someone who's highly sensitive and highly reactive is that you do you need to learn how to settle down and be more present in the moment and not needing hours or days away before you can settle down and come back it's not a good sign i appreciate you having enough self-awareness to utilize that when needed but the work is really about being able to be in the moment and settling down and saying yes let's talk let's talk now not freaking out panicking, running away, hiding out, right? It's the ability to just really sit in that moment. It's a, cause again, stonewallers use it as a control tactic. Now's not a good time or later. Like I said, they block you. They don't answer your calls. They leave for the day. They leave for the night. All of that is saying I'm overwhelmed, but think about what we're talking about. You're overwhelmed with what? Someone needing to share emotions and feelings with you. Do you really want to live that way where that is so dysregulating that you need to check out for hours? We want to learn how to be more present in the moment. Stonewallers also, excuse me, um, they often grew up in environments where emotions were expressed in maybe unsafe ways. And so they haven't been shown that there's a calm, loving way to hear this, share this and process this, right? So they might've been in very violent, traumatic homes. And that's why I never shame or pathologize for someone for being the way they are. Uh, it's a trauma response. You know, I hear a lot of people talking about dating narcissists and toxic narcissism, and it just almost is always so punitive towards a narcissist as though they made that decision and they didn't. They're trapped in it like everyone else. It's their work to heal that and to not enact that on others and take it forward. But that's a trauma response, right? So the question isn't why do you do that, but what happened to you that has led you to need to do that, right? And the same thing with stonewalling. Were they raised in a family that was overwhelming and violent? Were they raised in a family where they where everyone's stonewalled. And now you, as the person who's in relationship to them that wants different and better, you have to make sure you're presenting as calm and safe to give them a corrective experience of that. Because they're not familiar with that. They don't, they obviously don't have others in their lives who live that way or request that. And that's part of why I always talk about our mental health as our social health. If you're socializing and in relationships with people that are equally as stonewalled and emotionally unavailable, well, then where do you get these opportunities to learn and to practice that? And so that's why we always have to look at the health of those around us and also the health of the relationships that we're in and what, what elements of that are we responsible for, right? Because sometimes it's reciprocated, right? Some people stonewall and avoid emotion because their partner is also equally dysregulated or unavailable. And that, and I bring that up all the time with lying, right? I've, I've mentioned this example where a parent will say to me, I don't know why my child lies to you. And I'll say, because when they try to tell you truth, you get dysregulated, you get violent, you're not safe for them to go to, you don't remain calm, you judge, you punish. That's why. You can't expect a healthy person to go to, to, go to someone like that to share vulnerable, hard to hear things. It just doesn't work like that. So start there. Like before we label other as a stonewaller or emotionally unavailable, Let's hear about your emotional health. Are you a safe person for them to let the wall down with? Are you a safe person for them to share their feelings with? Or do you make it about you? Do you attack back? Do you blame them? Do you stonewall them? We have to always look at the entire system. You know, so we want to identify this in ourselves so we can realize we need to be more present. We need to regulate quicker and sooner. We need to be more available. Or if you want that in the other, you have to make sure you're creating the space for them to be able to practice that and learn that and do that. That matters. 
and that when we often are just very good at looking at the other and not realizing or checking in on what kind of space are we creating that we're expecting them to step into and be different within, right? Because none of these things happen in a vacuum. No one's presence in someone's life is neutral, right? They're always going up, you're always bringing something or presenting in some way that they're going up against. So really look at that. And we need to stop blaming people that are raised in ways where they aren't able because of their gender or their family of origin to be better. So just be very thoughtful. We, I use these words like stonewalling to better understand self and other, not to weaponize, to use it as a way to attack or to blame, right? That's not what it's for. All right, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to finish out on uh, healthy relational skills, talking about how to make healthy bids for attention. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about, gosh, the last thing we were talking about stonewalling. Now we're talking about bits for attention. A lot of this work is very Gottman related. He's a uh, couples theorist in terms of therapy. Um, I'm always trying to bring you the gems born out of different people's work. I always put my own spin on it because not everyone has it nailed. And a lot of the work is done on cis hetero people. And that means it does not absolutely apply to everyone outside of that. Often it's white cis hetero people, actually white cis hetero upper class people. And so no, that does not apply to everyone by any means. So I'm always trying to kind of expand and translate it, use their work as a starting point. But this whole idea about bids for attention is it's as basic as our partners try to make it, our partners attempt to connect with us. And what we do in those moments determines whether or not they give up or keep doing it. And if they give up, well, then we're, we're screwed. We, we want both parties to always be trying to connect with each other. And we always have to be open to any bid made. I say that all the times around sex as well. You might not be interested in penetration, but your partner's trying to connect or be intimate with you offer something. That's, we have to always offer something. I don't let people just say a hard no. So if someone's approaching you for some form of intimacy or connection, whatever they're offering might not be what you're open, interested, or feeling safe with, but you have to offer something. As always, the caveat is this is all within the context of a healthy relationship. If you're in an abusive relationship, the work is about exiting as soon as possible and setting boundaries. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about safe, loving, healthy relationships. Someone makes a bid for intimacy or care or attention, you honor it somehow, right? You're on your phone and they're trying to talk to you. Well, my other rules, people first. People come before work, people come before technology like your friends, your family, your loved ones. So if I'm on my phone and a friend, family member, loved one wants my attention, you better believe I put my phone down and go, hey, what's going on? Always, or at least say, this is how you accept a bid, but accept a bid for a connection, but with a boundary, give me one second, I'm finishing an email, and then, and then, you know, and then I'm all yours. That's how we accept their bid for a connection while maybe also needing a quick boundary, right? That's okay. We're allowed to do that, but we frame it, we use the wording. But my bigger point in the intimate, affectionate, sexual context is, hey, I'm not, I'm not down for penetration, let's do oral. I'm not down for penetration, let's cuddle. I'm not down for penetration, I'm also wanting to finish the chapter of the book I'm reading. How about in like an hour we go for a walk? How about in an hour we cuddle and make out? How about in an hour we have penetration? You have to be responsive in some way and offer some form of intimacy or connection. It can be sensual, it can be social, it can be affectional, it can be erotic, something. You can't just ignore them or say no. And you gotta always do your best to put people before work and technology. I promise you that will always be what links and ties and, and boosts our mental health. But we have to be sensitive and aware of these bids. And that's why I say to people, if you want to connect with someone, if you want care and attention, say that. I've said that to my partner. Hey, I'm, I'm having a really rough day. I need some attention. Or hey, I'm not feeling great. Can, I, I would really love to use some compliments. Or hey, I'm feeling really distant. Can we FaceTime instead of texting? Hey, I miss feeling pleasure in my body. Can we be sexual later tonight? Or can we sext or have sex over FaceTime later? Like make your bids clear. Again, we're working on moving away from Stonewall. We're working on way, we're, we're trying to move into authenticity and honesty. But I wanna just remind people when someone steps into their confidence, it, we wanna be there and accept. We don't wanna reject people, right? So use your words. Nonverbals are really hard. It means people usually have to mind read. Ask for what it is you're, you're needing exactly. You know, it's okay to say I need more care. It's okay to say I had a rough day. I need a lot of attention. It's okay to say I, I miss closeness. Can we use sexuality or affection to bond? But frame it in the positive. We're not, we're not trying to say you always, you never. Just use a soft startup as we say you enter lovingly. Make your needs clearly known. 
but you have to also be open to the fluidity that what you're needing exactly might not work within the context of what's going on with this other person's day. We always have to ask ourselves, what's going on for them? Where are they? It can't just be, I have a need and that has to come first. I've used my other lazy, sloppy examples where congratulations that you just got a promotion and you want everyone to come together for drinks tonight, but you might not know what's going on in all five of the people you reached out to's lives. One of them might've just gotten dumped and you're right. They can't come celebrate your promotion. Like we have to always hold space right? For what's going on. Same thing with bids for a partner's attention. We don't know if they had a rough day. Maybe they need something as well. And that's why we're asking outright, but I'm reminding people on the receiving end of bids, find some way to accommodate it. There's nothing more heartbreaking than a partner who's given up on trying to connect with their loved one because they're constantly getting shot down. They're constantly getting told it's not the right time or the right way. And it's judgment and judgment and judgment. It's not about you. It's actually about them. It doesn't need to be done at the right time in the right way. And if and just lovingly say that, hey, really need to finish this work. I, I understand you want to connect with me. How about in an hour we will dot, dot, dot. You lovingly take that freaking compliment. That's in there too. Take the compliment. Like it's great that this person wants to connect and be with you. I told this story a long time ago. We'll finish out the segment on it again. I'll never forget it. I was on set shooting a project and a married woman of many years was frustrated that her husband was still trying to have sex with her, but yet wanted a monogamous committed relationship, wanted him to have sex with no one, but not her either. And basically wanted him to be celibate. I would have told him he has a right to say, we need some couples in sex therapy because I have a right to have a sex partner. And if it's not going to be you, it needs to be someone else. But here's the ethical way I go about doing that. I bring you into that. But I said to her, what a great thing that after 30 years of marriage, he's still interested and attracted to you and is honoring the commitment of monogamy he made to you. Why are you making that a bad thing? Why are you offended? Like there's work to do in that. All right, coming up next, sliding into those DMs or gliding into those DMs, I should say. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we really need new phones t-mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iphone 15s and each line is only 25 dollars a month new iphone 15s it's better over here. only at t-mobile get four iphone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more rings, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medella, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, we're back. Now it's time to glide into the DMs, brought to you by Astro Glide. Gliding into the DMs. All right, DMs as always come from our Love and IG page in the DM. So if you got a question for us, drop it in there. Whatever you're wondering about, someone else probably is too. It's always anonymous. It's always confidential. Let us know. Uh, today's question says, hey, Dr. Chris, I kind of wanted to know your thoughts on taking a break in a relationship. Is it a good idea? 
What are some things that work and don't work? Ultimately, the goal is to get back together, but how can we make sure that happens? Ah, I love this question. I think often um, it's not a good idea, it's not done correctly, and it creates issues. So let's, let's unpack that more. In theory, is taking a break a good idea? Well, I don't know. Um, if, this is this is my perspective on this. If if the goal is to come back together and to be together, then the work is about learning how to be together. And taking a break away often is literally just the person settling more into or leaning more into life alone or single. And that doesn't help you then come back into a relationship. It's like it's like saying it like this. If you're looking to be employed, um, taking a few weeks or months off from working doesn't necessarily make you better able to return to work. Um, it can actually do the opposite sometimes where getting back to work feels more oppressive or overwhelming because of all your downtime. But at the same time, I also do appreciate, <clears throat> excuse me, in my work example, that sometimes we do need time away just to rest and to restore. So it really falls down to what are you doing in that time, right? In my, my, in my employment example, if during that time you're actually doing resting restorative things, well then sure, I'll trust that you'll go back to work in a more robust, resilient way. But if you're using that time to just party and, and burn yourself out, well, you're going to go from one stressful phase back to maybe stressful work. And that's why when people talk about vacations, the ones that they go away and they party and they come back burn out, it's like, well, you never gave your, your brain or your nervous system a break. You went from stressful job to stressful vacation back to stressful job. So it wasn't actually a vacation. In my mind, vacations are self-care based. They're resting, they're restorative, they're full of joy and pleasure, but they're not exhausting or depleting. So what's the relational version of that? Well, what are your problems in the relationship? What are the issues upon which you wanna break from? And, and will you work on those things actively while on your break? And if so, cool, do it. But if, if not, if it's that our personalities don't mesh well, well, how is taking a break gonna help you with that? Maybe you'll realize you miss the person, but I don't want you to be back with them because you miss them and that's not gonna help you once back with them if you still are not a compatible couple. However, if during the break you're gonna read materials on being better as a partner, healthier relational skills, and you're gonna read about and study it and then come back, cool. So it really falls down to what are you gonna do on that break? Are you gonna do things that are in service of the work that needs to be done and addresses the issues or are you just chilling? And again, I'm, all, I'm a big fan of self-care and rest. That is meaningful, but it still needs to be targeted if you wanna come back because if you're doing nothing to make you a different person and if you're learning or doing nothing to make the relationship different, then you're just gonna find yourself back where you were. So it's like you have to look at who am I as a partner? Who are they as a partner? What do I need to work on and change in the relationship? What are the new boundaries I need to set? What kind of communication style do we have? You got to work on it. So I would say take a break. Do some therapy while you're on that break. Maybe do some couples therapy. You can still meet for couples therapy once a week while on a break, right? Um, and also if you're planning on staying together, you should stay in contact during that break, but you should set the rules, the structure and expectation. Um, I don't want us to drift. So let's text every other day or let's hop on the phone once a week, or I don't know what it is, but it needs to be done consciously, I guess is my point. Don't just say, you know, I'll reach out in a month <laughs> and we'll see where we're at. That that's just not meaningful. And if you want to be single for a while, just own that. I'm all about people just really being honest with where they are, what they need, what they want, you know? So just don't BS yourself or them. That's not what that's about. Relationships are tough, but again, our, our best work is done while in them because that's when we can practice and that's when we can see what emerges in us and in them and in it, right? It's a mirror being held up as I always say over and over. So do that work. Um, all right, y'all. That is our show. If you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can always do so by going to wearechannelq.com. Tomorrow, we got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about parenting roles and then kink. Uh, yes, the K word, kink. So stick around and join us for that. If you got a DM, as always, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Always anonymous, as I said, and confidential. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't done so already, it's still time in your day to focus on some self-care, tons of joy and pleasure, and as much rest as possible. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. Um, and you enjoy the rest of your night.